Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us online. Those who've joined us there as well. Uh, my name is Ed Stetzer, the interim teaching pastor here uh, at uh, the Moody Church. Happy to be back. Uh, pastor Bill did a great job last week and actually finished up Matthew for us. And so we're not going to continue in Matthew, but uh, starting next week, we'll be diving into the book of Acts and we'll look forward to that. Um, I'm actually gone from this Sunday uh, until December. So three months, I won't be here. Um, I had a uh, book tour sort of planned that ahead of time. I'll preach in some area churches uh, near us, some like Park or, or Progressive Baptist on the South Side, or I guess Harvest has a campus near, and some churches out of town as well. But Pastor Bill was gracious, and he said, well, why don't you do one of your book tour weeks here? And so I said, I'd be happy to. Now, when you do a book tour, it doesn't mean that you, like, preach from the book that you wrote. You know, uh, my book, Christians in the Age of Outrage, chapter 5, verse 11, says, no, that doesn't work. I mean, I guess somebody does that, but that's not what we do in a church that, like, goes through books of the Bible and uh, looks to the Bible as the source and guide of our life. Um, but I, I did want to, uh, and I'll address that because I've been asked to, I'll address some of the things that are, that are here in the book. And... I'm glad to do that, and, uh, but I'm going to talk today about Jesus' outrage and the gospel, right? So you can already see uh, some of the connection between the two, right? Jesus' outrage and the gospel. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. Now, you can obviously see I played a trick there, and I took one more passage out of Matthew. And um, because I, I, I kind of feel like when we ended, right, Pastor Bill, we, he ended us right, like we were just, we just like a chapter away, right? We get right here to the bottom and, 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 and we get to the halfway through chapter 8 and, and then we're, we're going to the book of Acts. But there's stuff that happens between Matthew chapter 8 and the book of Acts, right? I don't want to like ruin the story for you, but spoil alert, he doesn't stay dead. I wanted you to know that going to help you to read the story, because we get to Acts, right? So, so that's there. But, but we know that part, but there's another key part here in the Gospel of Matthew that I don't want us to miss, because it's about, well, Matthew. Remember we talked from the beginning of this series that a Gospel is written by someone, Matthew, to someone, in this case the Jews, but also to us, and about someone, and that's Jesus. And, and yet somewhere in the midst of the Gospel of Matthew, we get to hear from, well, something a little personal about the person named Matthew. Now, I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. It's not going to be on your screen. I just want to read it, and then we'll go through it, right? Here's what it says. As Jesus passed on from there, this is Matthew 9, beginning at verse 9, and going through verse 13. As Matthew, excuse me, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house... Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, that's Jesus, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous and not sinners. So what I want to look at today is kind of jumping forward, just literally one chapter, right? We're going to look at let's live our lives and engage others as those changed by the gospel of God's grace, right? Let's live our lives and engage others as those changed by the gospel of God's grace. Now, if we had been continuing through Matthew, we would have followed Pastor Bill's message and we would have seen some, well, some important things, for example. Now, it depends upon your Bible. Right, I have my Bible here, and, and my Bible has sort of like little section headings. Maybe yours does, maybe yours doesn't. 
The section headings aren't part of the original text, but they sort of break up the text so we know the story, what's going on. And in my Bible, the, the headings kind of follow the cost of following Jesus. But then it goes, Jesus calms a storm, Jesus heals two men with demons, right? And, and, and Jesus then uh, goes through and heals a paralytic. So, and then he calls Matthew. So right before, right kind of between what Pastor Bill preached last week and what I'm going to talk about today, Matthew is showing us Jesus is more powerful than the storms, more powerful than the demons, more powerful than the paralytic's illness. So winds, waves, demons, and sickness all fall under his power. He can and does act with authority over winds, waves, demons, and sickness. So we get a picture that Matthew is trying to show us in the inspired word of God, right, how powerful Jesus is, which is pretty significant because something is about to happen that really I didn't want us to miss. So that's why I kind of use this, this opportunity, this, this time to talk, and I'll, I'll mention a little bit that fits what I wrote. But, but here, what I want you not to miss is, this is really key, is that Matthew now inserts himself into the narrative, right? He put himself back in the narrative. So what goes on here is very significant. So up until this, Jesus is teaching and doing miracles. Now we know a couple of things, like Matthew is a tax collector, right? Nobody liked tax collectors, still. No, no, if you work for the government, and we sort of like you. Um, but back then, it's really not so much tax as a toll collector, right? It's someone, and they kind of set up a booth, and you have to pay them. And there was a fee that you had to pay to the Romans, but as much as, much as they could get out of you above that fee. So imagine that there was, there was no top end to taxes. Wait, no, that probably shouldn't be something we imagine in Illinois. But imagine that each individual, if they could extort you or intimidate you, could get more and more money out of you. So, and that, so basically, nobody liked these people. They were, they were collaborating with the Romans, right? They were, they were uh, extorting or, or threatening to get more. So Matthew is a tax collector, and don't miss this, being a tax collector is so bad that it's regularly connected just with the words sinners and prostitutes. Right, so tax collectors and prostitutes are often used in the same sentence, right? So they're the worst. They're collaborators, they're thieves, and they're more. So how could Jesus do this? Well, Matthew explains. Let's look at number one in our outline. Matthew on Matthew. Now again, remember this is the Gospel of Matthew, and now we come to the place where we meet a man named Matthew. Now, the other two Gospels that record this call him Levi. Don't get confused by that. People in that day often had more than one name that they used, and that's not uncommon at that day. But they're talking about Matthew, but, and we don't know why specifically Matthew uses this. Perhaps it was a more common name, a, uh, a name that someone who was close to him might use. But here's what he says. Matthew's writing, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he, that's Jesus, said to him, Matthew, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, it's a little strange that the author of Matthew, Matthew, is writing about himself in third person. Most people don't do that, right? It's not, I mean, it's not, it's kind of strange when people do that. I mean, remember when Bob Dole was running for president years ago? And Bob Dole would always talk about Bob Dole as Bob Dole. He always talked about himself in third person. Bob Dole doesn't think that. And you're like, but you're Bob Dole. Just say, I don't think that. But he would say, no, Bob Dole, Bob Dole, Bob Dole's fat. It was just weird, right? 
Um, so Matthew is now writing about himself, right? And he, he talks about himself. Don't miss this, right? So why is this here? Is there any point of this? Yes, well, every word in the inerrant word of God has a point. But what then is it for us? What will we take away today about Matthew on Matthew, right? Let's live our lives and engage others as those changed by God's gospel of grace. Why? Because Matthew talks about himself so you can understand yourself. I want you to miss that. Matthew talks about himself so you can understand something about yourself. And I can answer, understand something about myself. This is really a deeply personal episode for Matthew that he's recording later, right? Because Jesus came for him. And Matthew wants you to know something about the gospel in this section. So in just a minute, he's going to have some words that Jesus uses, right? He came uh, not for those who are well, but for the sick. Uh, and so don't miss that. But Matthew is kind of the object lesson that Jesus is about to explain. So when Matthew says Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth, you know that Matthew is talking about Matthew, and Matthew wants you to know that he is just a sinner that was an outcast, that was unloved, unappreciated, probably immoral and inappropriate, that was an extorter and someone who threatened and intimidated people. He wants you to know that he was just a sinner and then Jesus came and got him so that you can know that you're just a sinner and Jesus came and got you. Don't miss that. Matthew wants you to know that he's just a one beggar telling another beggar how to find bread. So we start with Matthew on Matthew. It doesn't end there, right? So Matthew's the object lesson of himself, of himself. Number two on our outline, we go to Jesus and sinners, right? It was Matthew on Matthew first, and now we're dealing with Jesus kind of talking about sinners, right? Let's take a look at the text. It says this. It says, and Jesus, because Matthew just got up and followed him. So Matthew's on the team now. First thing they seem to go to is Matthew's house, right? And Jesus reclined at the table in the house, Matthew's house. Behold, many tax collectors, right? Right, bad company, right? Right, bad company likes more bad company. So these people who are already disliked by others probably got together regularly because they're the only people that liked each other. Right? Many tax collectors and sinners. Now, sinners is used in more than one way in the New Testament. There's this generic term, like the people of the land, kind of the, uh, it feels sometimes like the unwashed masses, right? The, and the Pharisees would use that kind of language to describe. It's used in multiple ways. But so tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining, and reclining is just a normal posture. If you've ever been to a restaurant, I was recently at an Afghan restaurant um, in Nashville, and we'd all come and just, you'd just recline, recline at the table. It's an, not an uncommon thing in cultures around the world. So they just recline around the table. Uh, and, and we're reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. Why do they eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, this is so key, right? Immediately, they go to, why would Jesus defile himself by being around bad people, by making himself unclean by association? And let me say to you, 2,000 years later, people are still asking that question about some Christians. Why are they going around those kinds of bad people? I would like to say to you, that if you're a follower of Jesus, I would like you to be around more bad people for Jesus' sake. 
Now, mind you, I don't want you to be of the world, right? But you're in the world. And if we seek to isolate ourselves, right, all that we know is Christians. We listen to Christian music, we read Christian books, and we only drink milk from a Christian cow. The end result will be hard. The end result will be a challenge for us in a world where people need Jesus, and maybe we don't hang around with people who need Jesus because we're afraid that some modern-day Pharisee might say to us, why are you hanging around with these kinds of people? Now, this is really key, right? Now, mind you, this is where legalism comes in. But no Christian thinks they're a legalist. No Christian, no legalist thinks they're a legalist, right? No Christian legalist thinks they're a legalist. Even the worst legalist justifies their judgmentality on the basis of holiness, not on legalism. But man, if you're afraid to be around people who don't know Jesus, or if you're afraid that others might be around people that don't know Jesus and you've got to call them out, what I want to say to you is, is why would Jesus lay out an example for us of eating with sinners if he didn't want us to do the same? Now, mind you, even the language I'm using here, eating with sinners, but that's what's going on here in, in Jesus. You know, you know, I just want you to eat with your neighbors who don't know Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, they might come over and they might think differently than you, or they might, they might think similarly. Maybe they'll think radically differently than you, but, but what Matthew's showing to us is, look how far I am from God, Matthew's sh showing us. I'm a tax collector. I'm the bottom of the barrel, but Jesus came for me. So why is your master eating with sinners, the Pharisees ask. Can I tell you? Matthew knows why. That's why this passage is so beautiful. Matthew knows why. See, because the reality is Matthew knows that's him. So Matthew, who would later write this gospel, Matthew knows that holiness is not separation from sinners, it's separation from sin. It's not living in or engaging in activities that are sinful, but being on mission with Jesus means engaging people who do not know Christ. And Matthew was that person. Now, so this is where it's at, right? So Matthew, we're now engaging with sinners, but there's about to be a twist. I love a movie with a twist in it, right? I love a movie, you know, when I, when, 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 when I learned that uh, Darth Vader was Luke's dad. Again, I should have said spoiler alert there, shouldn't I? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I just, just woof, just hollow. It's just, oh, I didn't see that coming. Well, what's about to come next? You're not going to see coming if you're reading this Matthew for the first time. It's just going to be a surprise to us, right? Um, but, but what's, because Jesus is going to talk about it in just a minute, the righteous. But when he's talking about the righteous, you have to sort of think of it with air quotes. You know what air quotes are? They're very important. All the cool people do this. Air quotes. So whenever you're talking and you're trying to say something and emphasize the point, use air quotes. This will help you to emphasize that. All, all the cool people do this. So when Jesus says, so the righteous don't need a doctor, the righteous don't need this, he's, he's not actually saying that they're righteous. He's saying that they think that they are righteous. And therefore, well, we're going to see the twist in, in just a minute. But what we're going to see is, why would Jesus eat with sinners? Well, you know, that's what Jesus calls us to be on mission. I don't know about you. I, I, just, I was just blessed. I mean, I, I didn't uh, know this morning that Aaron O'Grady and Lee and Regina Block were going to be um, prayed over and commissioned today. Two of my favorite places, Chicago and Brazil, for real. 
And I love that in South Brazil and the northeast of Brazil are disproportionately unevangelized. I love that they're going there. I was just this week having a meeting with the international leaders of, 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 of her ministry and several others as well, talking about how we elevate international student ministry. I love that we're sending these folks out, and I'm thankful we're praying for and getting behind them. So we need to send people to Brazil and to the Ebon in Malaysia and to the Pokot in Africa, the Quechua in the highlands of Peru. But for most of you, we just need to send the love of Jesus to social media a little more. So you say, well, that, that, that escalated quickly. Um, because I got to tell you, man, it's a train wreck of outrage in social media. And yet we're sent by Jesus. See, it's interesting because Jesus had to go into the house. Somebody had to let in the sinners, right? Someone had to let in the tax collectors and the sinners. So the proximity was infrequent in Jesus' day that the righteous would be near the sinners. Now again, using that term just for the moment, but it's unusual that the righteous would be near the sinners. But now, don't miss this, but now, right, we get that in our Facebook feed. And some Christians have decided that's their opportunity to call out the sin of their neighbors who don't know Jesus. And I gotta tell you, you know what you should expect people who don't know Jesus to do? Live like people who don't know Jesus. So what then do we respond? Well, for some it seems that they're going to respond by just posting meme after meme and outrage after outrage and sometimes making up things and, and saying things about people who believe differently than them and the end result is they're not building bridges with people who don't know Jesus. They're burning bridges with people who don't know Jesus. All in the while of, I get to make my point. Can I tell you, you're not making your point. You're building a wall between you and your neighbor. And they probably already muted you, but that's another story for another day. So, what's this twist? I love this twist, right? Look at number three, right? We get to Jesus on grace, right? So we're going to see this, right? Jesus outraged on the gospel. Matthew on Matthew. Man, he's, this is a story about him, right? Uh, and he goes, then he goes first, he says, but when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, well, they do, right? Now, this is so key, right? So we start here. But when he heard it, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, again, remember the air quotes. Those who are well, those who are well have no need of a physician. Here's what we know, that because all men and women are, have inherited a nature inclined towards sin and stained by sin, that we are sinners by nature and by choice. So nobody's well, everybody's broken, and nobody gets through a broken world unbroken. So even saying those who are well requires the air quotes, but who needs it? Those who are sick. See, Matthew, I actually debated whether to show a video today, but because um, Matthew's like, I mean, if you're reading this, Matthew's like, it's me, it's me he's talking about. I'm sick. There's an old video from a TV show in the 70s called Welcome Back, Cotter, and in there is a guy named Rorschach. And he just always gets to go, me, 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 me. If you get nothing else today, Matthew's just saying, look, this is me. And I'm so thankful that the writer of the gospel of Matthew 
would think it important for you and me to see 2,000 years later that he says, I'm sick and I need a doctor, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Because 2,000 years later, the gospel message still rings true and you gotta say, I'm sick and I need a doctor, I'm lost and I need a savior and anything else makes you in a category of false righteous rather than sick sinner in need of Jesus. But when you know Jesus, it changes everything, right? So that's what's going on here. But, and I, Jesus is consistently hard on religious people. Even as we've seen the Gospel of Matthew, he's consistently hard. See, here's why. I think Jesus is so hard on religious people in the Bible, particularly the self-righteous religious, because he wants us not to fall into the trap of being the self-righteous religious. Jesus cares less about outward appearance than he does about inward devotion, right? And, and he points out, and the reality is this. I mean, religion, I'm not just talking about Christianity, but religion has produced a whole lot of people who've done a whole lot of bad. But when you follow Jesus, something else happens. See, they, they didn't get that in Matthew chapter 23, this is 23 verses 27 and following, he says, woe to you. By the way, when Jesus says woe to you, you better say, woe. Because that's not going well for you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Again, this is later in Matthew, but this is a recurring theme throughout Matthew, right? So you also outwardly appear righteous. Jesus is not interested in you looking righteous. He's actually in you living out the implications of the gospel of life. But within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, a tombstone. Tombstone where... We don't think of these like this inside of, you know, we don't bury, uh, we tend to bury in the ground. If you go to New Orleans, they bury above the ground because of the water table. And you can walk up and you can see a tomb. I took my kids there and said, look, this is a whole different thing. And, and, uh, but it's enough that you can see. Someone could walk in there. Now it's sealed. Someone could walk in there. But you know what's in there. I mean, literally dead people's bones. And so what Matthew is saying, right, is, is that that's me, it's me, it's me, right? And then he's pointing to Jesus who's saying, I'm going to change you, Matthew, and I'm going to change any sinner who comes and trusts Jesus as Savior and Lord. See, now, the Pharisees over time had developed a disgust for sinners and a common people of the land. And this is one of the challenges today, right? There's kind of a disgust that has sometimes come up between even non-Christians and Christians in the world increasingly is disgusted with us. They call us names and seek to marginalize us. And say, we don't want you that, that, that's bigoted, that's small-minded, and they twist words. And I know it. I've seen it, right? I don't think it's a one-way street because at the same time, sometimes we can get a sense of disgust towards the world. And that's what the Pharisees had. They had a sense of disgust towards people who did not follow God rightly as they did. Now, why does that matter? Well, here, here's it. Let me just read something we, I wrote here. Disgust halts any form of engagement, like a bad odor or a revolting sight. Disgust stops us in our tracks and prevents us from getting any closer to someone. Right? One author categorized disgust as an emotion similar to fear and to hatred. While we fear things out of self-preservation and hate things that have wronged us, Disgust is an emotion of avoidance and repulsion. He wrote, to be disgusted by something is, crucially, to want to avoid contact with it, either by sight or touch or smell or taste. 
to put distance between yourself and it. And the Pharisees are like, Jesus, why are you around these disgusting people? And Jesus is like, because they need a doctor. Because they need a savior. Can I just tell you? If our reaction to an outraged culture, sometimes outraged at us, right? I, 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 see, it, I see it as well. And people, people critique and criticize us simply for believing what Christians have always believe but if our reaction is to return like for like and kind for kind an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth then ultimately the end result is we'll lose our opportunity to be a gospel witness that God has called us to by the way people who are self-righteous that Jesus seems warning us throughout scripture look at the self-righteous Pharisees don't be like them now again none of us are going to be no one no one today is going to join the Pharisees that team is not taking new recruits but self-righteous Christians can be pharisaical as well. So they developed a disgust. So Jesus says to them first, right, but when he heard it, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Let's look what else he says, right? Those who are well, then he says, go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. By the way, this phrase is similar to a phrase I heard a lot in high school. Go and learn. Because I didn't do particularly well in high school. I told you before, I had a lot of D's in high school. I lived by the motto, the D's get degrees. Um, and they did. And I'm not encouraging students here to do that. I later became a better student, slightly. Um, but I'd raise my hand because I wasn't paying attention. or I was out late night, the night before. And the teacher would say to me, I'd ask a question maybe he or she just addressed. And the teacher would say to me, go look it up. So, so in other words, I should know this better Go look it up today. We have the modern form of that is, you know, you can Google that. You know that, right? That's the modern form of that, right? You have the Google machine on your computer too, right? But, but really, people, it's funny. People say that there's no such thing as a dumb question. People who say that have actually never been teachers uh, because there are sometimes questions. You're like, what, what in the world did that come from? And they're told to Google it, right? So, um, you know, sometimes, but this is what Jesus did. Jesus says, go and learn. You know, my wife does this to me sometimes. If I'm not being the best husband, she might say, you know, you ought to go listen to Erwin Lutzer's sermon on marriage. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, you know, go and learn, right? Go and learn, right? But the Pharisees ask, why is Jesus hanging with these people, right? They, they're the self-righteous religious. Remember, Jesus has harsh words towards self-righteous religious people. By the way, and shockingly, he has very merciful, merciful and grace-filled words. I mean, think about this. To the Pharisees, he's saying, go and learn something. But to the woman at the well, he's just saying, love and grace and gospel to the to the blind man to the woman caught in adultery go and sin no more but the self-righteous religious he says go and learn and what do they have to learn go and learn what it means i desire mercy and not sacrifice now depending on your bible right remember some you have if you have like a red letter bible the words of jesus are in red uh, and you'll notice here, if you have a Bible that has different colors and boldings, that these words are bolded. And you wouldn't know why unless you look. Not all of them. Actually, the Bible I have is not. My Bible does, is not a red-letter Bible. But this is bolded because it's a quotation from the Old Testament. Right? So Jesus says to them, 
Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Why? Because he's saying, and by the way, even that language there, that, that actually comes from, it actually comes all the way back from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings, right? I desire mercy, he says, more than I desire sacrifice. Now, why does that matter? Because what, what they wanted was to be the self-righteous ones. Now, mind you, wouldn't it be bad if we listened to this message on how bad the self-righteous Pharisees were and then decided to look down on them because we're glad we're not like them? I mean, we'd be doing it wrong, wouldn't we? See, they weren't getting holy, they're getting haughty, but we can look at them and say, well, good, I'm glad I'm not like them. But here's the deal. If we get that place, remember, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And I want you to hear this. You don't want God opposing you, Christian. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So what then is our rightful response? Well, I think our rightful response is to live differently because of that, right? Because it'll shape your whole life. I mean, I love senior adults. We have some senior adults here, and I love senior adults. And it used to seem that was really a long way away. Now it just seems right around the corner. But I love senior adults. I want those free discounts. They're coming soon. I mean, that's not just why I love them. I love hanging with them until I get the discount, but I love them. Some of them are the most amazing, godly people you've ever met because they've learned, they've learned that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And you see in their lives a humble trust in Jesus. It's funny because they've been Christians sometimes 50, 60, 70 years, and they still will speak humbly about, you know, I, I'm still struggling, I'm still growing, I, I still got brokenness in my life. Thank God He forgives me through Jesus. And that's for some of them. And then sometimes you see a different path where somewhere along the way they got on the outrage railroad and the self righteous railroad, and they become angry religious people. See, when we recognize we're all sick and we need a doctor, it changes so much. It changes even, well, everything. So what's our answer here? I don't want you to miss this, right? So this is, and then this is what, so that's a lot of what motivated the whole, the whole book deal, right? The whole book thing was motivated by this. And, and I talk about the outrage alternative. Have your worldview shaped by the gospel. Be kingdom ambassadors in a foreign land. Live with winsome love. Uh, uh, engage, uh, align your online activity with the gospel. Uh, engage your neighbors. Actually mentioned Moody Church and how we've done that here as well. Why? Because ultimately what the world needs now is not smug, self-righteous Christians. What the world needs now is Christians who say, thank God that we're like Matthew and Jesus came and got us. Don't miss that. So what do we do? Well, here's the great thing. Matthew, right? I'm trying to preach the whole rest of Matthew in this one message. But look what Matthew says in Matthew 10.8. I love this, right? What he says is, freely you received, freely give. Would you say it out loud with me together? Freely you received, freely give. What did you receive? God's grace, God's goodness, forgiveness, uh, 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 mercy in the midst of that. Say it with me again. Freely you received, freely give. So you've received mercy and grace and forgiveness and pardon and patience and all these things from the God of all the universe. Should that not mark your life and mine? I think so. We're all sick. We all need a doctor. But then Jesus saves us and we need to bring that doctor to a whole lot of other people. So we'll end with this, right? Finally, for I came, Jesus says, for I came not to call the 
the righteous, there's our air quotes, don't forget the air quotes, after church say, please come up to me and say, man, that was a okay sermon. So whatever you put in the air quotes doesn't really mean what it's supposed to be in the air quotes, right? You can say, that was a great sermon. Then I'll be like, wait, are you really doing the air quotes? Anyway. Jesus says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So aren't you glad? Because there's actually no one righteous. He came to call sinners. I love that, right? There's a little... Um, there's a little Easter egg in here, and in the movies have this thing called an Easter egg. An Easter egg is sort of something you can look right past and not notice uh, if you don't notice, right? Uh, an example like in uh, Black Panther, in his sister, uh, Suri, she, uh, she, she acts, she's the one who says, what are those in the film, for those of you who watch the film? She's also the actress who plays her, by the way, is a very committed Christian. But when she sees this man supposed to, she's helped heal, she says, oh great, another broken white boy for me to fix. You may remember that from the film. It's actually a clever nod to something in a, in a whole other thing in Captain America's Civil War. All this stuff here, Steve Burns is, Steve Rogers drops off Bucky Barnes in Wakanda, and all this stuff takes place. Why? Because you're like, hey, there's something else here I want to see. And if you, if you get it, you'll be something else is going on. And even in this thing, there's something else I want you to see. Let's take a look. Put that verse back up there for just a second. For I came not to, it goes, goes on, gives clarity. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's where we're going to focus, right? Call the righteous, but not sinners. But don't miss the first four words. It's a little Easter egg here, right? It doesn't say I was born. Once I was called. It said I came. He's reminding you, just as Matthew did when we saw he had power over the wind, the waves, the demons, and sickness. And then in the middle of this thing, when he's talking about his mercy, he said, by the way, I came. I didn't just, like, get born. I didn't just, like, decide this was something I should do. This is the purpose for which God the Son left heaven, came down, was born of a virgin in a place called Bethlehem, lived a sinless life, died, and eventually will die on the cross for our sins and in our place. And in the midst of this, he says, this is why I came. So don't miss the, the little Easter egg there. Right? It's a little like, okay, we missed this if we just rushed past it. But the main point is Jesus came for sinners, not for the righteous. Jesus then makes us to be more like him. Not righteous with air quotes, right? But instead a righteousness that grows and grows in us as we get to know Jesus. It's a humble righteousness. Here's why. Because Jesus gets the jerk out of you that religion sometimes puts in. And if something else is in there, it's actually not from Jesus. But the key here, right, right, I came, not that I was born, I came for this purpose. And that requires us to think differently because of who we have become in Christ. We can't just, we can and must live in as an extension of Jesus' ministry in the world of outrage around us. I think we have to be a recipient of Jesus' grace and then a participant in Jesus' mission. I want you to miss that, right? Let's live our lives and engage others as those who are changed by God's gospel of grace. Just one beggar trying to help another beggar find grace. See, the key here, and throughout the whole book of Matthew, some people think the key of the book of Matthew is actually the parable of the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son went out and did all these things, but Matthew's writing to the older brother. And the older brother got upset, got self-righteous, looked down on his brother, was resentful when the father welcomed back the other son who had wasted everything on, on sinful living and more. And so the older brother was the self-righteous brother. He was righteous. And if Matthew's written to a religious people, maybe 2,000 years later, 
as someone who's a person who's religious in some sense of the word, you, me, and others, maybe it can speak to us today as well. See, when you get that you're just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread, it changes the way that you think about your life, your mission, and more. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, maybe you relate to the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe you've been running and you've been running from God. And what I want to say to you is, he came for you, the sick. He came for you, the sinner. You can trust him today. Our prayer partners are actually going to come in just a moment and just going to work their way up here. Uh, and just so when we start to sing, you'll see them move. Don't be distracted by that. They're here to pray for you and, and to pray with you. Don't, don't miss that, right? If you're here today and don't know Jesus, we want you to know the grace he brings. And if you're here today and you do know Jesus, we want you to walk in the grace that he brings. And we want you to remember that you're sick and you're a sinner. But something has changed because Jesus has become real in your life. The song we're going to sing in just a minute includes this phrase. It says, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are. And fill me with your heart, your heart. And lead me in love to those around me. I just want to encourage you to do, to be encouraged today as we really now finish up our Matthew series by looking at Matthew. 2,000 years ago, Matthew wrote this so we could say, we're like him. Let's live our lives and engage others as those changed by God's gospel of grace. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we acknowledge today that by your grace and your goodness, you've redeemed us and any righteousness that we derive from our effort and our good deeds is a false righteousness requiring air quotes around them. But Lord, instead, we're reminded that we have no reason to look with disgust or scorn on anyone. Even the worst person that we might say by the world's standards or even by our standards, the worst person is made in the image of God. You came for us came for sinners. You came for people all around the world. May we live in light of that truth. Lord, as we move into a season when people just get, seem to be more and more upset, even in, a, even in an election season coming up where people are just going to be more and more filled with outrage, may we disciple our hearts, our mouths, our keyboards, and more. So that people might see in us and say, man, that's somebody like Matthew who just points out they came from brokenness and they were only here by grace. Remind us that we came from brokenness and we're only here by grace. And Father, as we sing, I pray ultimately, Lord, that you would be glorified. The words of this song might be a prayer that we take your love and spread it to others. In Jesus' name.